0: Listening to the Live from the Caribbean podcast, the show that brings the stories of island people making a global impact with your host, Pauline Joseph.
1: Wow. So from Montreal, what was the next step?
0: question. What did I go after Montreal? Well, I had the summer of my life. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Sorry. I I went to Jamaica and first time I went to Jamaica, that was like life changing guy. I went to visit my roommate from college, Charlene Kaur, and my life changed forever. It really changed forever with that first trip to Jamaica. She introduced me to her friend, Sean Paul, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love so many of your songs. And then he really hit. That was before the big hits. huh? I I don't want to get... That would have been 1990. You do the maths. And then what did I do? I came home to Barbados and I had my first set of jobs. So... Actually, this is a funny story to do with cricket. My first job was with a UN body, United Nations Drug Control Program, UNDCP. So I was kind of an intern there. And I remember I was working there and that was the time the West Indies had the very famous test match against Australia here in Barbados. And when it came down to the fifth day, the government said, everybody can go down to Kensington. You know, we're not opening government today because Brian Lara was at one end, Courtney Walsh was at the other. And it looked like we were going on to win this very historic cricket match, which we did. Big up, Brian, Charles, Lara. So I remember telling my Belgian boss, "Hi, yes, yeah, sorry, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be leaving about eleven o'clock because I'm gonna be going down to the Kensington Oval to watch the West Indies win this Test match." And he goes, I- "I'm very sorry, uh, I'm very sorry, we're not allowing that." And I remember at the time thinking, "Oh, good dear, poor him. He like he don't really understand what's going on." And I, I, I talk about first job. I said, "Oh, I'm really sorry too, but I have to go." And off i went anyway so i worked with him as you can imagine only a few months and then i got my first real real job which was in the ministry of foreign affairs in barbados and our government i was working in the latin america desk so using my spanish
1: yeah you mentioned that earlier that you have languages what languages do you have
0: fluently i speak french and spanish fluently Conversantly, i speak portuguese and italian and i speak a little bit of a few other things I learned Italian more recently, but I love languages. French and Spanish were the ones that are fluent. And then I speak some Portuguese and some Italian. A little German, a little Scandi, those kind of things. You have to learn it more more than ever because your country is now going to be a bilingual country in 10 minutes. You know that, right? (laughs) I was in Trinidad the other day, big up Trin City. I have family living in Trin City. And we watched the news and the news finish out to the news was like a, a Spanish soap opera. And I said, you see how quick culture has changed in full Spanish, you know, English um, subtitles. I was like, we all your Trini and them, we all better learn Spanish and quick too. Probably my greatest passion and people think, oh, music or sport, but culture and language is probably my greatest passion. I remember when I first went to Trinidad and of course I know your history, right? Which is in direct contrast to Barbadian history where we only ever had one massa. Thanks, England. That's why we're so boring. Anyway, but in Trinidad, I noticed that y'all had all of these wonderful expressions. And I just learned one the other day. You know, you'd say these things. And I was like, but il fait chaud. Like, that's direct from the French. I'm not doing it justice. Maxine told me one just the other day. And I said, oh, my God, that is French for bad word or what?" Like you, y'all literally have French and Spanish still in your colloquial. You just don't know it because you don't speak those languages and that's what you say. But when you look at the English broken down, that is a direct relationship with the French and Spanish languages. You're absolutely right. Movo leng, you know, you never heard of that? Why did you, just, a, why do you do the I think? Oh gosh, why are some Movo leng? I is a half
1: a Trini, and depending <laughs> on when the situation suits me, I go that my Bajan side doesn't understand that. <laughs> so there are moments when I would say words, and um, and my Trini friends were like, "Where did you get that from?" I'm like, "Oh shoot, sorry, that's the Bajan at me." Yeah. So like the confusion has always been the earlier and the wanna, you know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah,
0: winner. <laughs> Yay. But our
1: our history is definitely one that we aren't taught enough of. Yeah. Uh, and it should be something that should be become a little bit more palatable to the world we live in now and sometimes cuz I buy the books but it's very hard to read. <laughs> yeah, we have our to
0: celebrate history. it. We have to celebrate it. Okay, so, obviously there there was brutal how we came to be in this part of the world. But there are other parts about the resilience of us as people, uh, the richness of our culture. I mean, Trinidad and Tobago is ridiculous. The best street food and music culture, I would say, in the world for one little tiny island like that. I mean, unbelievable. It's world-class.
1: I agree. And I know that we don't understand what we have here and people around the world are trying to figure that out. Like when you think about the fact that we have a Hindu, we have Diwali coming up, right? Yeah. We have every single religion is not just accepted, but it's recognized yeah. on a national level. Yeah. and. We don't take pride in that because we take that for granted.
0: Can I also say, I'd like to encourage everyone listening and yourself to go online and find Prime Minister Mia Motley's speech to the IDB. It's called Time to Pivot. It's not long. It's 15 minutes. And I think it should be embossed and, and played in every school around this region. But one of the things she starts by saying is that growing up in this region, we start at a disadvantage because we are crippled with self-doubt. We're growing up in a region where she was making the point like we're not necessarily going to put a man on the moon. We kind of grew up in a place where all the big steps in the global life might not impact us. So we started at a disadvantage. And the point she was making in that speech, time to pivot, time to recognize we as big as anyone and time to pivot and move forward. It is the most inspirational thing I've heard from any leader anywhere in the world, because that's not hard right now. You know the best leaders in the world coming from the Caribbean right now. We know what's going on in the rest of the world. Go and watch it. It's her speech to IADB. It's called Time to Pivot.
1: Pauline here, under the advice of my accountant, I have to do this ad because this is a marketing expense. So if you care, go to acmarketingcraven.com. If you don't, just keep listening to the podcast. I appreciate you. So I can tell you on behalf of everybody outside of Barbados, we have self-proclaimed a president of the Caribbean and we've appointed Auntie Mia. I call her Auntie <laughs> Mia because she's just doing things right, you know, things that I've never seen before, even just the way how she speaks. I feel like a lot of times, Caribbean leadership tends to talk down to you, whereas Mm. I feel like she's talking so I could understand her. Mm. Well done, Barbados, because it was about time. She was trying to be the longest while for you, to be in leadership. I'm very proud of you, Barbados.
0: (laughs) Thank you, thank you, yeah. I was very proud of my nation as well. And how interesting, because I remember I was living in Jamaica at the time of that election. I flew home to vote. I remember thinking, well, she might not win this. Because, you know, people are saying all these manner of things about her. And I was thinking, imagine how much better than your opponent you have to be when you're a woman. I feel as if anybody who was doubting beforehand, like a two years in, watching her manage this pandemic, etc., must be saying, all right, all right, all right, fair enough. I gave her a hard time. Hands up. I gave her a hard time. She's awesome. She's not perfect. I think she can rough up her people. She demands a lot of people. She demands a lot from herself. And God knows that's what we need in this region. Enough. Enough with the working two hours and calling it a day on public money. Enough with doing something in a real average way and thinking that will do. What was the expression? Good enough for government work. That's an expression. That's a real thing that we say in this part of the world. No. We know we can be world class. It's time to pivot, man.
1: And I think that's a good segue into the conversation about what it means to be a woman in business. And I want you to speak on that because you're in a space when I look at the radio stations in Trinidad, you you could correct me if I'm wrong if it's the same thing in Barbados, but I've stopped listening to the radio in Trinidad because it's men first and foremost, and the emotional intelligence is not on the high level. Physically, I'm not able to hear those things. Like there was a comment once saying how what I would never go to a woman who shaved her head. And this is around the time. This is literally in October. I remember it being a breast cancer month. And I was just like, what? So the media is important to how we view things. And if we don't have women represented in the media, how are you going to change that mindset? So what have been your experience as a woman in the media space?
0: Whenever anyone asks me, what's it like being a woman in sport? what's it like being a woman in media? I always say, you can ask the question, what's it like being a woman? Because being a woman anywhere, turns out, makes a difference. Big up my girl, um, Nikki, who is a wonderful broadcaster and morning personality out of Trinidad, who does a good job. And It's interesting that you talk about that point would never go with a girl with short hair. You see, I think what's missing regionally, certainly in Barbados from the radio is intellect. So had that person said, you know what? I can be honest. I don't feel like a date, a girl with a bald head. That is a great starting point for a wonderful discussion on hair, femininity, gender, this, that, right? It's a jump off point where you could hit five or six interesting discussion points that will engage your listenership. That will involve several different positions because it's a pretty honest position, right? But just saying it like that and leaving it open-ended is a worthless and a waste of time. You have to explain, first of all, about being a woman and femininity, but second of all, being a black woman. Because hair is a big thing. And we talked briefly at the top of this podcast about my brownness. Being brown is one thing, but having, I put this in inverted commas, soft hair, is a next not a thing, right? Because it turns out here is the big identifier. Who knew? Well, turns out the world knew, I did not know. My mother and father also never really raised us in our home per gender. So it wasn't like Julian had rules at 16 that I didn't have at 16. I was a big shot to me when I got on the world and realized, hang got a second, why is no one listening to me? I'm making strong points. My voice is loud enough. And then slowly, of course, you over the years, you take enough blows, you realize, okay, It's difficult. It's difficult being a woman because you want to assert and use your femininity and sexuality. That's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. So if I'm interviewing Joffre Archer, he's going to get a few smiles from me. He is gorgeous, right? And long and lean and very successful. But he's not going to get more smiles from me than, say, Stefani Taylor would. Right. She's also going to get some smiles from me. And I think that the issue with how men deal with women in a male dominated space like the media and like sports is that they are, God bless them, sort of caught between interacting with women in the way that they have been taught and acculturated and recognizing, hang on a second, but she's kind of my counterpart equal. So I don't know if I can really put her under this pressure. So there's some space in between there that has to be, you know, you can be a man, I can be a woman and we can be ourselves, but we just have to be mutually respectful, you know, and talk about all the issues. So at the same time I would talk about women's issues with hair, because that's a big one for women and black people, and black women being the space those two Venn diagrams intercept but there's also lots of men issues god bless them right they're not getting through school they're not making any money women don't want them if they can not buy this and buy that and they're kind of lost as well under trying to understand what their place is in this new like millennial world
1: Pauline here to let you know about Microsoft 365. As a small business owner, it has been a saving grace to my bottom line. Not only is it allowing me to operate my organization without having a rent expense, but I'm able to really understand the productivity levels of my team. So go Microsoft 365. Trust me. So has there ever been a time where you didn't get that?
0: Mutual respect, your profession? Yes, actually ongoing. Ever been a time? Every single gig. When I was at CPL last year, I mean, no name, no blame, no lockup. You know, disrespect comes in many forms. And the worst kind of disrespect for me, for me, for my one part, as we say in Barbados, me, Alex Jordan, is when you realize that somebody is so inculcated in thinking that women are lesser, that. It is their instinct and reaction. It's not something not, I'm not asking after they've studied and thought it through. Their instinct is to disregard you or to put you down or to make fun of you. That's their instinct. And it enrages me at a game in the CPL. I went in a bathroom. I'm bald tears. I cried because if I didn't cry, I was going to blow up in there. I was going to curse people, blow up in their pelt over things, mash up things. I was like, let this rage come out with some grace in this bathroom here. And yeah, and I just have, you know what is true about life? You got to suck that up. Well, you got to choose your battles. I'm not going to go back in there and say, excuse me, I think you'll find that because I'm a woman, it's very different from me. I mean, everything, everything. I was the only woman in that broadcast. They had decided, obviously, we needed to be in a bubble. I applied for my makeup artist to get access to the bubble. She would wear hazmat, so we would do it outside not even a moment's consideration. And I put it to you, had a Mikey Holding, had a Tom Moody, had a Danny Morrison, needed a makeup artist, it would have been there without a blink. And of course, I knew I was right the whole time. As time went on, we saw more and more people have access to this bubble that was meant to be extra bulletproof, but my makeup artist couldn't. And truthfully, I still feel very strongly about that because I didn't ask to be a woman. I hate makeup. And if the world wasn't what it was, I wouldn't have to wear it like they're men. But actually, I have to wear it because we know that the more emphasis is placed on how women look, you know, give me a break. Even at 23, I'm not going on TV without makeup. So I felt like no respect was given to me in regards to how important and how vital that is for the production. It's not me wanting a favor, wanting to look pretty. It's part of my job. That was a curse word in between there. What do you do to keep
1: motivated? And what drives you to
0: stay in the Caribbean? When I was in London, I tried out for Sky Sports and there were 64 girls. And your girl had her hair blow dried, looked a million dollars. And this is news reading. This is a joke. I know I'm going to kill this. Anyway, first round get through, second round get through. We get down to four girls from 64. So I say, yeah, I'm the only woman of color in that, of course. I'm like, well, I got this because I know that I'm doing this well. Anyway, we did one more round, the four of us. And then the director called me into her office. It was a woman. And she said to me, Alexandra, I want to tell you, first of all, that I love your tone. She said, you remind me of Michael Holding. I could listen to you read from a phone book. I never forget she said that. And I sort of smiled. And she said, but Sky Sports is a Rupert Murdoch company. And being a woman and being foreign is too much for my viewers. And I just took her hand and thanked her because if I didn't get that gig, I go in home feeling like I can't not get enough. I didn't get that gig because I am black and Caribbean, and that gig was not for me. That's not how how they wanted me to look. That was liberating for me. That was the moment I decided to move home, not because oh f them, but because I was like, okay, I'm good enough to work anywhere in the world. Let me go and improve my region. Now back to the point about what am I doing here? I think the ideal scenario, especially for young professionals like yourself, is to live in the Caribbean because let's be honest, there's no better place in the world to live but work internationally. And if one thing Corona has given us is this perspective and this possibility and this realization that we can work anywhere in the world. And, you know, right now I'm trying to shape and garner my career that I obviously am based in Barbados and doing some work locally, thank God, and enjoying that. But I want my gigs to be around the world. I want to commentate cricket in New Zealand. I want to be in Australia. I want to be in London. I want to travel the world and work with international teams because that makes a big difference. When I go on to a production and it's an international team and there are 38 people doing 38 jobs, you know, 37 of those people are excellent at their job. Excellent. Which makes your job easier, makes you look better, certainly for TV. I can tell the difference just to look on the production and see how the team is, not just the person in the front. So I think we all Caribbean professionals deserve the opportunity to work with international standard teams. And you have the opportunity to do that. You just told a story about how you're in fact doing that from right here in Trinidad. But then the question remains for you, Am I getting enough from living and residing in the region? You know, because for me, at my stage of life, I don't want to be in a big city. I don't want to be in North America or Europe. You know, if I could live in the Caribbean and earn foreign currency, that would be the ideal setup for me.
1: Yeah, that's something to ponder. But it's just refreshing to have that conversation to know that it's not singular not alone
0: (laughs) no not at all not at all and you know i have a lot of frustrations with my region and my country in particular and in fact the last year and a half i've been a bit of a debbie downer because a lot of things been happening in my personal life which were super challenging and thank god for them because you know here we are again rising like that proverbial phoenix from the ashes yeah i try as well just to really welcome the good and see the good and be good myself because you can really get in a rut with complaining for example the service in Barbados if we were to have bad service Caribbean awards I think Barbados would win I think Trini could try I think Jamaica could give it a go I mean Trini might not agree with me Grenadians might say I mean you're joking but I think that we would be like gold medal winners
1: as someone who lived in both countries I definitely would say Barbados is the top of that and it's just such an oxymoron when you think about the, the focus on part. tourism yeah like it's just like at least Trinidad don't really need you like at oh, least yeah. they have oil you know what's so, you're like okay you come you know come is all right no. but this actually makes a living from exactly. it so it's just
0: like exactly and i just went i spent um a weekend two weekends ago in canoan, if you please in the grenadines and i mean obviously we were at a very fancy place but oh, the people serving us were vincentians and they were wonderful i'm not asking for people falling down at our feet i'm asking for a pleasant personality who makes my day brighter who anticipates what I will need does not wait on me to ask them for something right the service was beyond ridiculously good one of the nights we decided we were going to cook instead of go out so I had asked our butler that's right we had a butler to get us a couple of things including a breadfruit anyway so we were just discussing how we were going to do this breadfruit and he was like let me tell you what Alex I will take it back to my village and I'll roast it for you. And then we can bring it here and then you can do anything you want with it. He took home my breadfruit and roasted it. I mean, just, I don't care if he's being paid or not. Just the generosity of spirit. That is what we lack. And I think that is what we have to spend more time on building. And not to get too deep on a Friday afternoon, but I've been thinking a lot about it. What, Where does it come from? And it really comes from being better at being yourself. And we need some things early on in school that we don't have. We need meditation. We need breathing techniques and we need wellness because by the time we are adults, we are so unwell that the mind is unwell, the attitude is unwell, and therefore generosity of spirit is the last thing. You can't see it. I put the pot there for she, what more she want. That's not my job over there to move the pot from A to B. That is my job. I want people to understand or I feel very genuinely that that kind of attitude is attached to how you feel about yourself.
1: I've been reading a lot about slavery and the effects of slavery, right? And the taxation of it financially and otherwise. There is that, but then there's also I blame management. Whoever is in charge of these, whoever this is, like if you behave a specific way and somebody complains, but it continues going over and over again, it means that somebody is not being satisfied in a specific way. And how is management changing it? There's so many different things and it's just like it's mind boggling.
0: I totally appreciate that. And of course, whenever I talk about service, people say that and I agree with that. And in fact, there's a gas station in Barbados that gives me terrible service every day. I'm forever on the search as to who owns it, who owns the franchise. I want to talk to them because, you no, know, you can tell the difference in places where people have put an emphasis on not only training their team, but empowering their team, making their team feel good about it. How much do you need an hour to feel good about yourself? How much do you need an hour for you to go about your job with some energy and vitality? Because, yes, you're right. People have been working for nothing for a long time with no impact on the business, not feeling like they're part of a business. And there is precious Alex Jordan wanting a smile with her service. Well, that ain't happening. F you. You made the point yourself. My God, Barbados, we rely. The only thing that will distinguish us is how good a person feels on their trip here because the beach is all the boat, culture all the boat, the whole region nice. And, you know, we sell a high-end product. You're going to pay your money in Barbados. And I feel like people should be made to feel good about paying their money. If you're staying at a villa, I shouldn't be having to ask you for things. And you pointing and showing me. Some friends stayed at a villa. Really nice villa on the West and stuff. And would ask for something. Is there is there coffee here? People would point them to the coffee pot. Oh, okay. Thanks for that. Thanks. Mm. I mean, it's a joke. I mean, of course, that's not all places. This is just individual parts. And you must come and visit Barbados because it's the general part in you know? <laughs> And it's
1: <laughs> to jump the position, right? Because it's like, ah, no, but, but you listen. still need to come.
0: But you get in trouble, you know, and I got in trouble about this recently because I made my whole name in this country by being honest about everything on my radio show. But then when you make a name, people don't want you to say anything against the brand. And of course, our brand is Barbados and we love it. And we want you to come and spend your money here and work from here and enjoy your holidays here and bring your kids here. But I still think on something like this, a regional podcast, we're speaking to I'm speaking to my people. Yeah, we got to do better.
1: Hey, are you a small business owner? It's Pauline here. I'm sure you and I can exchange some notes on all the struggles that exist within the entrepreneurship journey in the Caribbean. But one of the things I need to tell you about is Regus. They've been an amazing partner with the LinkedIn local community, and they have a suite of products that's applicable to you. Not only do they have a space, an office space, because post the C word, we're all gonna wanna interact with somebody, but they also have the option for you to have a mailing address, coffee, It's a good addition as well. So check them out. Google Regis Caribbean. They have locations in Trinidad, Barbados, Jamaica, and Guyana. Tell them Pauline sent you. Trinidadians feel that way about Barbados. I've had a lot of Trinese because they come to me when everything Barbados, they come to me, they just pick up the phone, I go in here, I need to send somebody flowers. You know, they all come to me. And the general consensus has been they feel as though Bajans don't like Trinese. There's also a shift when the accent is identified so it's right. almost as if okay you come in with tt dollars we really don't want to spend any time with you and it's a feeling that i think should be heard and and it's warranted to have a discussion because how else are you going to change you know well
0: we would be very wrong because trinidad is coming with us dollars first of all but second of all of course there would be some level of resentment but that's not recent that would be over the last 15 20 years since because you know trinidad are have been cultural bullies in the best possible way in the southern caribbean you know you've bought things you guys are financially in control of a lot of Barbados. So there's resentment on that level. But I think there's also a bit of a paucity, a lack of sensitivity from some Trinidadians. You know, I remember interviewing on Slam, one of these brands who comes over with their parties for Carnival, right? They're like, yeah, so basically what we're doing here, it's kind of like the Beijing Juve. It's the Beijing juvet. I said to him, I'm sorry, you realize you're on the radio in Barbados? Do you mean four day morning? Because that it name, that we call it, that's what we're experiencing here. You should then say it's similar to our juve, obviously, and we are bringing this and that. But there's a kind of cultural hegemony that Trini's fling about. When last year went carnival? Okay, respect due to carnival. But, you know, have a little sensitivity when you're dealing with your poor cousin little cousin
1: (laughs) so you just trigger something there because i am the owner of collision entertainment something that i've had to put on side and pause and i'm still emotionally going through it and part of the reason is because bajans supported Trinis because of that brand and i was fine because it evolved into something that was more compatible with the diaspora so we had 80% at some point in time, UK and North America, because we were the first for the morning band to be completely online. But then I just saw that shift of, well, this is a specific brand that everybody associates with Trinidad Carnival. So we're just going to support that person. Um, So that's so intricate and complex. I don't have, I I don't have the mental capacity. (laughs) I
0: think it's about sensitivity. You know, if you're born in the United States, it's a bit, OTT for you to be like, I'm a proud American, because it's big and it's powerful. So when a Trinidadian comes to a place like Barbados, I feel like when I go to Trinidad, let me speak from my warm part. When I go to Trinidad, I am like, this place is amazing. Well, I've never eaten anything better than doubles. The avenue is the most fun I've had in my life. Look at this panyard. Can you feel it in your bones? Wow, look at this mailing fashion. These people are world class. Every corner that I go, I am looking to see what is good about Trinidad. And I think that when you're the bigger nation coming into the smaller nation, that's even more important. To at least sort of communicate to locals that you can see their value and appreciate being there and feel a sense of privilege to be part of this community now. And then we move from there. It can't come in with hedge swinging, you know, you can't come in with the big, bad club and club everybody over the head. There has to be some where it's an insecurity, right? Regionally, now this is a bigger discussion and then we don't have time for this on this podcast, but re- <laughs> regionally, CARICOM region, we have a lot of insecurities. You know, I told you about how I identify as a West Indian. And when somebody from Grenada does something, I'm like, you see how we did that? I'm so excited. When I lived in Jamaica, that was not the case. Jamaicans do not see the region like that. The Jamaicans see the region as Jamaicans. Okay, let's not get confused. They might enjoy carnival and stuff, but they have a very certain separation between what is Jamaican and the rest of the region. They don't even visit the rest of the region as much. That is different from how we feel. Maybe because we're smaller. Maybe because we feel like association with those bigger countries is a good thing for us. But I think there has to be some measure of sensitivity when you're moving in the region. It is your home. But of course, it's hundreds of years of resentments to overcome.
1: Well, I have this book on curriculum, actually, and the building of it. And it's interesting how we tend to want to separate ourselves from a leadership perspective when we have more to gain if we come together. Like if it's one thing cricket has shown us, you know.
0: I definitely agree. Uh, greed, is, greed will be our downfall. I mean, if we, could, if we could have the single market and economy and people could actually get that working, it's just a no-brainer that we would be more powerful as a combined unit.
1: So let's shift to some of the things you discussed earlier about remote, right? What advice would you have to people exploring remote working for the first time?
0: Do as I say, not as I do. You need a good routine you need to really institute a good routine in your day because I have to tell you, I have been a very bad remote worker. When I stopped going into an office or having like a structured day, it was it's terrible. My productivity dropped tremendously. So I would say you have to be very disciplined about how you go about your day because it's a bit like golf. You can cheat, but you're only cheating yourself. The same with remote working. If you don't put in the hours that you need to do, you just won't do as efficient a job. That would be my one advice. And two, yeah, time to pivot. Back to Mia's speech. I mean, everything is upside down. All's changed. 2020, the summer of 2020, we had to look at ourselves in the mirror. And I say we collectively as a globe and say, okay, we have to slow down. We have to stay in one place. We have to come to a halt and we have to really examine ourselves. So take the opportunity. That would be my other piece of advice. Take the opportunity of this change in routine, just bit of a shift in how we've been living our life for the last, I don't know, 100 years or whatever, and see maybe what you could do better or what you could do differently or what you might enjoy doing more than what you've been doing in the last little while.
1: So you mentioned golf. I want to ask, what does get the heart pumping for me? I swim, ride, run to the point where everything's mad. I did a half Ironman in China last year. Uh, wow. What is your equivalent?
0: <laughs> ah, wow. I, I have done some distance running, although I'm kind of off it now. I've only done a half marathon, but I, I enjoy that kind of running. That's interesting. I wish I had more time for it to do. I would like to do some triathlons because I cycled every day in London. I'm a decent runner. I'm a good swimmer. So I think that would be very good. But I don't. I do the bow spring. It's kind of a mind-body practice. I do an hour a day and I meditate. And I play squash. And I play golf. And, you know, people say, oh, golf's not physical. That's because they don't play golf.
1: Weren't you on the national team or something? And were you doing squash I, for a yeah,
0: while? I played squash for Barbados, yes. Junior golfer and junior swimmer, too.
1: If you were appointed the CARICOM rule, your head of CARICOM, what would be the first thing on your to-do list?
0: I think I would work on self-confidence. I would work on finding uplifting, interesting stories about regular people throughout the region who are doing extraordinary things. I think self-confidence is one of our biggest challenges across the region. Not only individually that we lack confidence, but as a nation and as a region, we lack confidence. Confidence building program one hundred and one. I would call it Operation Confianza.
1: Multilingual at that. How influential do you believe your Caribbean upbringing is to where you are today? And is there anything in particular that stands out?
0: Oh my goodness! So fundamental. Uh, so fundamental. I'm a Caribbean person, and and that is who I am. I loved Mitchell's piece. I am Caribbean. That's who we are. My freedom. I'd like to think I've made a career on being myself, really embracing my personality and letting it shine. W- warts and all, you know, love me, hate me. And I think that's quite a West Indian thing. You know, we live, obviously, I love that song. And people coming down, dancing to a song. Oh, And he says, people live a hundred, what is it, a thousand years and never feel this free. And I think that that's really what a Caribbean upbringing did for me. And remember, zero to 16, I had no internet. So I think back now to when I would be floating in the sea. At the time, it was where Rihanna's big match and building is now, the sands. But before, it, there was nothing but casuarina trees there. And I remember being maybe eight or nine or ten floating in the sea with my mom on the beach saying, time to go. And I was pretending I didn't hear her. But at the time, I look back and I was definitely meditating. I was floating and I could hear the wind through the casuarina trees. And it was just the perfect moment. And that level of freedom... And I define freedom as a lack of anxiety, absolute absence of anxiety. I think that that is directly from my Caribbean outdoor upbringing.
1: And I think on that note, that's the best way to end this Live from the Caribbean podcast. Maybe I'll convince Alex to do a LinkedIn live session and you can get to see her this time. (laughs) She's quite, (laughs) she's a mixture Caribbean. (laughs)
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen for your podcasts. Don't forget to join the community at our website, LinkedInLocalCaribbean.com. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our next LinkedIn Local event by following the hashtags on LinkedIn. Search for hashtag LinkedInLocalCaribbean.